Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. As a community, we are learning the way of Jesus and serving our city. Redemption Hill is kind of different. We are a collective of micro churches that gather together on Sundays to grow and connect and worship. So don't wait anymore. Join us Sundays at Boise Friends Church in the gym at 10.30 a.m. and get connected to the community you need in this season of your life. All the details you need are at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the training and teaching time from this week's gathering. Stay tuned after the sermon for more info on how to get connected. All right, we are in Ephesians 4. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm just loving, I am loving Ephesians. Like there is just every, every week there's just been this like rich stuff we can draw out from it. So uh, today we're in Ephesians 4. Get out your Bibles. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read it out loud. And it's going to be on the screen, but you're going to need your Bibles because what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a minute to read it yourself. And ask, what I, instead, of, instead of going into it, because what we do is we read it, and we decide what we think about it, and then we have a comment about it before we ever ask questions about it. So what I want to start with is I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes by yourself rereading it, and start with what questions are we bringing? Like what questions do we have of God as we read this passage? So let's put on our curious hats and enter in and let, let it ask us some questions. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner serving for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he said he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, 
growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Take a second, read through it again, and let's ask some questions of the text. All right, that's a little bit of time. You can keep thinking while other people are sharing, but I'd love to just hear your questions. And if you're somebody who shares a lot, maybe don't share always. If you're somebody who doesn't want to share, maybe it's the day today to jump on in. So who's, who's got a question that they, that they had while they were reading the text? Yeah. Here, let's, let's use the mic so that people online can hear. So I just wonder why uh, Paul starts it out by saying, that he's a prisoner. What does his being a prisoner have to do with unity in the church? Next All right. Who's next? This is the work. This is how we approach the text is by asking questions. Joe. Uh, he mentions a calling a couple times, and I'm wondering what he means by that. Yes. What does it mean to be called... like to ask you, what did you feel when you read it? What was, what was the internal emotional response? Just kind of that natural, that's what I feel when I read it. This is more about reading ourselves. We need to read the text, and we also need to read ourselves so that we know what we're reading into the text, and we can hopefully deal with that as we go. Anybody have a question or what they felt as they were reading it? I feel excitement. <laughs> Nobody believes that. <laughs> All right, Kyle feels excited. I, I do too. I like this passage. We allow, we allow the message. Okay, good. I pulled it up in the message and I liked where you said, well, I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. And I love that. On the road, God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. And I love that. Like, what a, what a call. Yeah, the calling isn't to sit as students. The call is to take up yeah. what you've been given. Yeah. I, I, get the, I get excited when I read that. Anybody else a feeling or a question? Yes, Zach. I was wondering whether somebody else has seen it. it to me it almost sounds like contra 
You can say it sounds contradictory. That's contradictory okay. in the <laughs> sense that he ascended on high and took captives and gave gifts. Captives and gifting seems contradictory to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's a weird bit, man. That's a, that's a weird little bit. Any other questions or feelings we want to jump into? We'll have some more time to... Uh, we're going to have a little time to speak back at the end. So as, as we're going throughout, I want you to pay attention to what you hear from the Father, what you're sensing from the Word, and we're going to share it at the end. All right, well, let's jump in. Verse 1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord... I like that Paul starts with, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. He's not just a prisoner. He's not just some lowlife that ended up in prison for murder or stealing or fraud or whatever. He's in prison particularly in Rome, because he had been taken captive in Jerusalem for speaking out for the way of Jesus. And the Jewish authorities had handed him over to the Romans because they were, they were saying that he was a blasphemer, was inciting the people and creating a stir in Jerusalem. So he gets sent off, and he appeals to Caesar. That's his right as a Roman citizen. He, his father was a Roman citizen. He was granted Roman citizenship. So he is in, in Rome, in prison, and he's writing this letter. And so we have to start with, this guy has moral authority. Not only does he have authority because God has used his words as the backbone of understanding the way of Jesus in the church and in the life of the church for the last 2,000 years, but he had moral authority in the first century to say, this is all I do, man. <laughs> it's like he's saying, I'm an expert in giving up everything for the way of Jesus. And so when we read this calling, it's not from some milquetoast guy sitting on a couch, like writing out a Facebook tweet about sacrifice, okay? This is a guy who knows what it means to dive in. And then this next line should, should feel exciting and nerve-wracking. I, I, and then the dependent clause, prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Now, this, uh, this word called in our language is not, it doesn't have the same uh, root system that they did in Greek. So kaleo is the word that's used here. To, to be called is the same root word as the noun that he used to describe God's people, ecclesia. Ecclesia means the called out ones. And so when he says you are called, he's not speaking to the leaders in Ephesus. Who's the letter written to? The ecclesia in Ephesus. And so he's doing two things. First, he's saying, remember who you are. You're the people that I called out of the world for a particular purpose, to be my people. We've talked about God, the, 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 the amazing mystery that God reveals to Paul in Ephesians is that he is making for himself one people out of Jews and Gentiles called out from the world to do the thing he's called them to. So when he says, worthy of your calling, we hear calling, and what do we think when we hear calling? Joe, what did you think when you heard it? missionary. Yeah, we think people have special roles and they have this special calling. And the people who do things like I do and like Joe does as full-time people who 
lead Christian organizations, we have special kinds of calling. And so when we hear the word called, that's what we think. We think that he's talking to pastors and to leaders, but who's he talking to? The people. The ecclesia in Asia Minor. This isn't to a special elite group of people. He's saying, you have been called. That is our, like, that's our name. Like, we, church is this weird word that we kind of borrowed from old Germanic that means, like, house. Ecclesia means the called out ones. It's, it's our identity. And so when you say it means missionary, it actually kind of does mean missionary. It means people who are called to be a part of a mission, but it's not special people, it's God's people. Anybody who's a part of his family is called into the mission. And then this is where he goes, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That feels so out of place with like where this is going to go, but I think it's the center of this passage. Is that God's people are not marked by power. They're not marked by strength. They're marked by by weakness, and they're marked by humility. And particularly, we're going to see in verse 11 that this is going to lead into the, the people God's entrusted to lead the community. They're the ones who are supposed to look like this. And that word gentle, it feels so um, out of place in, in a lot of places. Like, I, I think that we don't live in a particularly gentle world. I think it's, it's very um, countercultural. So this word uh, that's used here for gentle is prautes, is how they say it. And it's used quite a bit throughout the New Testament. Um, there's one spot in 1 Corinthians where they're dealing with like a very broken church and it says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And that passage is telling us that this word prautes is the opposite of getting hit with a rod. <laughs> Instead of getting hit with a rod, which is this way of like corporal discipline to coerce you into doing what I want, the opposite of that is gentleness. That's important. We have to understand what it means to be gentle. Uh, it goes on, verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Like, that sounds wrong, right? Patiently enduring evil, but that's a part of what it means to be gentle, is to not demand that everything get fixed immediately all the time. With my kids, I'm in a bad place when I'm nitpicking at everything that they do. I know that I'm not being gentle and kind to my kids when I'm just sitting there and the way that Ike is breathing on me, I need to correct because it's driving me nuts. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Or the way that I wake up to him asking me 14 questions about Miles Morales before 6 a.m. Like, I, I have this immediate need to correct and to, to deal with him. The problem is this world is full of evil. And if you feel the need to constantly correct all the evil in the world, what does that make you? Very busy. <laughs> it makes you very busy, but it also, it's about you. It's not about the world. 
Like you, you want evil to be gone because it annoys you. You want evil to be gone because it's, it makes you struggle rather than caring about, and this is the way God approaches it, evil is always embodied in people. Did you realize that? Like evil is done by humanity to humanity. And so what God does to get us to not be evil is he patiently walks alongside of us and invites us to walk with him. And that feels so dumb. Like, I'm, like, God, there has to be better ways of dealing with the evil in this world. But what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is that this is the way of the kingdom. It goes on, correcting his opponents with gentleness, prautes. Correcting opponents with gentleness. Who here likes to lay the smack down on their opponents rather than correcting them? Yeah, that's what Facebook was made for, was to slam down our opponents with truth, right? No, but correcting our opponents with gentleness. This what says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to knowledge of truth. That feels wrong in every way to my human soul. That's, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. But this is what it's like to be gentle in the way that Paul is calling us to. If you find that you're quarrelsome, arrogant, or like a bully, then you have a place in your life that's not formed yet in the way of Jesus. And that's not something to wear as a badge of honor. That's something to start working on, to give Christ access to. And Paul is saying that's what it looks like to be God's people. Verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And I think this is deeply tied to the humility and gentleness we see in verse 2, that the way that we get to unity and peace is through gentleness and through humility. What a word for today. Binding ourselves together with peace. Uh, I mean, this week has been absurd because of Ukraine, and it's hard to not just feel this deep sadness for really it's been a generation since we've had a war between two countries that's it's been one of the longest periods of like regional and super regional peace in the history of humankind and as we're as we're dealing with that it's it's like this perfect contrast to the kingdom like war making itself is antichrist it, and I think it's easy to see because war is destruction. How long does it take to build a great city like Kiev? A thousand years is how long it takes to create a beautiful city like Kiev. How long does it take to destroy a city like Kiev? It takes a day. It takes a moment. War is the spirit of Antichrist. Where human evil has taken root in a, in a people or in a person with so much power that they can exert on this world destructive forces unseen in generations past. You know, I, I'm not, as much as I would like to be a total peacenik, I just can't get there. I think it is moral to defend oneself in battle, 
But I'm not sure that God thinks that we should be willing to die for political elites in other places. I'm not sure God cares enough about the political stability of our world to demand that we die for it. I think this is a place where we can disagree, but I think that we, we ought to ask ourselves, what does God say about this, like this war-making? And, and on a broader sense, in our very lives, how, how are we living out the quarrels and the opposition that we face day in and day out? When that person sends that one last request for a cover sheet on your TPS report, are you going to go to war? When that person sends that passive-aggressive email again or screws up again, are you going to go to war with them? Have they become your enemy? That sort of war-making in our, in our little friendships and lives is also antichrist because it's a destructive force in our workplaces and in our families. And so anytime you feel yourselves gearing up for personal war, to avenge, to get justice, to take back what's ours. That's a moment to take a beat when your son is breathing in a way that just makes you need to deal with him. Ask the father if it's his plan to do that correction, if it's his plan for you to make war on that person, or if it's you satisfying the emotional needs that you have. If your actions in that way aren't going to look like Jesus, then it's time to stop being an apprentice of Jesus, watch what he does, and do what he does, which is this. Jesus took the cost of other people's war-making so that they could become his friends rather than his enemies. There's a deep cost to it that I think that most of us aren't willing to enter into. But Paul is saying, I'm in prison to make to make peace with my enemies. I'm willing to give up my freedom so that others may be found right with the Father. So I think he knows what he's talking about when he talks about this. For there is one body and one spirit, verse 4, just as you've been called to one glorious hope in the future, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. Okay, so we've talked about this. The unity that Paul is bringing, Jew and Gentile, it's not bifurcated anymore. It's unity, but it's not unity in a thin sense. It's unity in that Christ is Lord over all. Therefore, we're a part of the same family. We're a part of the same kingdom. You belong not because of the unity that we create, but we belong because we're deeply connected with the Father by the Spirit. That's where our unity comes from. Verse 7, however, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, when we read this passage, what's your initial thought? Like, what do you think the special gift is? We don't find out until verse 11, but when we just read that, what, is it, what do you think? I don't know, I look at it and I think it's about me. Like, I get a special gift and I have like, I, I, got, I get something. And that's what we think about calling. Like, I have my special calling that is just for me, that I have to, that it's, that it's mine. It's something I possess. We think that these gifts are something we possess, but let's wait, let's wait, let's move forward. Verse 8, that's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. And then Paul even thinks he needs to explain it because it's weird. He says, 
Notice, he's, he's quoting from uh, Psalm 68, and he says, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. Now that's like, that's like weird. That's, that's weird. But what, he's, what Paul is saying is that this passage from uh, Psalm 68, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. What he's saying is that he's, he's talking about incarnation. He's, tr- he's not trying to get at Christ's exalt- exaltation. He's saying, yes, Jesus has been exalted to this place of glory where in his resurrection he was seated on the right hand of the Father and all things will be brought under his feet and under his rule. But he's saying, but if he ascended, then that means that he also descended and that he made his home with us. He, he embodied it. And there's this, there's this weird aside that's supposed to be a nod to incarnation. And here's what he's trying to get at. That just like Jesus came down and embodied the kingdom here, we are meant to be that ongoing incarnation of Christ's presence in the world. We've seen it throughout Ephesians that this the spirit that's in us is the one that's unifying us. The spirit within us is the one that's empowering us. The spirit within us is the one that will get us where God wants to take us. The spirit within us is God's descending into this world. We are an expression of the incarnation. And when we win Christ, when we win people to Christ, and we teach them the way of Jesus to help them steward their gifts for flourishing, it's because God gave his people what they needed. Now, let's go to, the I think, the center of this, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts. Going back to verse 8, the gift, the special gift. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. We, we have an acronym for this. It's APEST, okay? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. It's just easier to say than apept. So we, we, we use the shepherd terms, the pastor term. They mean the same thing. But we call it apest. We call it the fivefold ministry of the church. And this is the way that we think that God designed the people of God to live as leaders is to be a team. God gave the church these five groups of people to lead alongside his spirit over the community. So let's, let's kind of tear it apart. What is the apostles? Well, the apostles is not, like we think of it as a special word that means like, um, like a bishop. That's the way that our English has translated it. This is a transliteration of a Greek word apostolos, which means missionary. It means sent ones. So when we, when we read apostle, we think sent ones. And this is really, um, this is one of like, one of my giftings is I'm an apostle, which means I'm, I'm an initiator. Just like Paul, I have been sent out as a starter. That's, that's what God has particularly gifted me for. That's what an apostle is, is someone who starts things, that entrepreneur, the leader who's kind of in the front like of a new initiative. That's an apostle. What is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who listens to the Father. They're good at hearing the Father's voice and speaking humbly to the community as they hear from the Father. Now, prophets are incredibly important in the church. 
And they're also incredibly difficult for people like me because I want to go and create things and they want to sit around and listen to the Father. And I need them and they need me. And that's like a part of how God leads together as we have these different, different parts of the Spirit of God that he's put inside of us. Evangelists. This just means the, one, the ones who spread the good news. These are um, kind of natural evangelists are people who are enthusiasts. They can't help but tell people about Jesus. Um, they can't help but get people excited to show up. This is something that is kind of a secondary gift for me where I love helping people connect and show up and be a part of something. I think Joe has a very natural evangelist gift. He, he shows up and he gets people involved. I've got a buddy, John, who um, every, every coffee shop in town I drive around and he's just sitting there sharing his faith with somebody. Like It's just like everywhere I go, John Strain is there sharing his faith. That's just what he does. And there's just, he's a natural leader. And the church needs those guys to be a part of the table because when we're sitting and making decisions about what's next for the church, they're always asking, well, what about the people who aren't here yet? What about the people in the world who haven't yet followed Jesus? And they're concerned about what's happening out there. The pastors, shepherds, are the ones who, um, man, these are the good ones. These are the ones that a community needs to care for the people. The ones that God's brought in, the 99 who are in the sheep pen, the shepherds are asking, how can we keep them well fed? How can we help them grow? How can we help them um, feel safe? Like shepherds care about those things. Now, I don't care about any of those things. I'm not a very good shepherd pastor. That's not like my natural gifting. So I need guys around me. I need gals around me who have that natural kind of shepherding pastor gift who's going to say, hey, there's somebody hurting in our community. Hey, there's somebody falling behind. Hey, there's somebody who hasn't yet connected yet. And a shepherd role is that somebody who's going to do those things. Um, a teacher is somebody who loves helping other people understand things. Someone who gets up in the morning, sees something or thinks something, and then says, I've got to help somebody else understand this because it's so important. And they're naturally, um, they're, they're guardians of truth. That's what teachers' roles are. Um, and this is actually not one of, one of the gifts God's given me. I, I, I like using teaching to move people, to help them move forward in there, but I don't like think about how to like, help you think about things right. Like that's not, you could tell by how bad I am at preaching and by how bad I am at like creating metaphors that you can understand. Like this isn't my natural gifting. And that's why we have probably 15 or 20 other people who are going to preach in the next year or two because I want to engage and help you find those people. So these are the gifts. This is the special gift that Jesus descended, released the captives, and gave special gifts to the people. So he, he descended in his death, released the captives from um, their, their slavery to sin and their slavery to darkness. And then he gave these gifts... Now, particularly, he gave these gifts in the Holy Spirit's presence. And what Alan Hirsch says is that he calls this apostolic genius, where when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you as a part of the regeneration when you're saved, when the Holy Spirit enters inside of you, he puts inside of you all the DNA of all five of those. Because it's God's Holy Spirit. Jesus himself was the ultimate apostle. He came and built a movement that has shaped the world. He's the ultimate prophet. He spoke 
truth and heard from the Father and did a great job at understanding what the Father wanted. He was an evangelist. He went about proclaiming the kingdom and people were drawn to him because he was caring for the lost sheep of Israel. He was the ultimate pastor. He saw himself as the good shepherd. People were drawn to him because he saw their hurt and their pain. And he was the ultimate teacher in that he would see somebody and listen to the Father and give them the word that they needed for their spiritual walks. And when Christ put the Holy Spirit inside of us, he embedded into us the DNA of the kingdom. Just like every cell of your body has all the DNA to create your entire body. I don't know if you know that. I know very little about biology, but I do know that. Every strand of DNA in your entire body has the entire instruction kit for your entire existence. They come from our bones, create these stem cells that are malleable, and then they get deployed to become cells in your body, replicating themselves as different parts. Kidneys, spleens, bones, skin. It's the same thing with God's kingdom where he put inside of you the Holy Spirit. And when we grow in our walk with Christ, what you'll find is there's some natural gift God's given you, maybe a second, secondary one that's prevalent. And then as you grow in the way of Jesus, all five of these things come to life. Now, does it mean that we're all meant to be all five? No, we all have particular roles and particular gifts. But God gave these five gifts to the church so that it would be formed rightly in the way. And then it says this in verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. We're not going to get through everything today. Sorry, just too good of stuff. Um, so let's, let's end here. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, when you read this, does it say their job is to run a nonprofit organization that has great programming for families? It's weird. It doesn't say that. Does it say they're supposed to put on worship services every week? No, it doesn't say that. Does it say that they're supposed to be the ones who organize everything and serve the whole church? No. What it says is that God entrusted the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher as a gift to the church, and their job is to equip God's people, literally to, like, hand them the tools. That's what equip means, is like literally to hand tools to someone. Equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now that build up word, um, I think we imagine it like a scaffolding, like we, we prop them up. But what that, is, that, that word itself is a reference to bodybuilding, like to literal like strengthening and training. And so the job of the leaders of our community is to build you up to do the work, to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And that's why we are trying to shift our model away from you come and consume Sunday mornings and then go and have a nice week and try to be a good person. That's not what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do is help all of us understand, verse 1, that you have been called by God. That his people, the body of Christ, have been called by God and all of us have work to do and God gave some, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, to build you up, to grow you up into your faith. And then hopefully, you leave the nest. 
And you go create these microchurches, these expressions of God's kingdom in our neighborhoods. And what we like to see is that in, those, in your microchurch, we want to help you kind of discover which of those APES gifts you've been given. Where do you fit? What's your best contribution? And how can we utilize that APES team in your microchurch to grow that community? To help you build your kids and young adults and your families in the way of Jesus. Because that's how the kingdom of God moves forward is by the Holy Spirit coming to life inside of us. So in a second, we're going to, the band can come up. Yeah. Is it Marcus preaching next week or is it Kyle? Marcus? I think Marcus is preaching next week. Um, I, may, I may make him do some of this stuff in Ephesians 4 because it's such, such powerful stuff. Um, but what I want you to do is during this next song, we're going to have communion. And I want you to imagine as you're taking communion today that as you participate in Christ's work on the cross, and when, when you join his family, that this is an expression of his DNA, the kingdom DNA that he's put inside of you. And when we take, when we take communion, it's a nourishment of our souls in the presence of the Spirit. We're giving him room to fill us up and to see us come to life so that those apes gifts will be born anew in us. And that we'll say, God, these things have been entrusted to me so that the church would be built up. Now that, that's, that's going to feel, for some of you that's exciting. For some of you that's a little overwhelming. For some of you that's really confusing. That's okay. All those three places are places you can be. But when, as you receive it, I want you to say, God, what do you have for me? How am I supposed to take the things you've entrusted to me and 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 use them for your kingdom's purpose. Lord Jesus, we celebrate at the table today. We celebrate the gift that your body and your blood is for us. That it literally represents your dissension. You coming alongside of us and um, letting us be filled with you. And so as we take it, may it remind us that it is your body that gives us life. And Lord God, I pray that as we grow in our faith, as we learn the way, that this world would experience more of your spirit coming to life inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our weekly podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get them in your podcast feed. You can find ways to connect with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection. Fill out the form for a free gift from us. We care about you and want to help you find your way back to God. Follow at Redemption Boise on Instagram for regular encouragement.